Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more. darkness and the rain, <laughs> listening to Jane's Addiction on our way on a last-minute trip to Portland to meet Dave Navarro. As you know, the most rock and roll thing we've ever done, <laughs> 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 or will ever do. You know, I was just thinking, like, I hate being unprepared, and the thing that is just occurring to me now is I'm worried that I might be uh, too young. <laughs> <laughs> to just wing this? Or maybe I was just perfect and my whole role in this is to remember what it's like to have a crush on a greasy-haired garage rat. <laughs> Speaking of. It's almost got like a Beatles vibe right now. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is Labyrinths. This all began when Amanda received a message on Instagram from Dave Navarro. Yes, that Dave Navarro the black-haired, tattooed, devil-chic guitarist from the seminal 90s grunge band Jane's Addiction. He also played with the Red Hot Chili Peppers for five years. And provided the guitar on hits like Alanis Morissette's And P. Diddy's we still here. You're rocking with the best. Bad Boys for Life. He's also the host of a tattoo competition show. With Ink Master, what we're looking for is an artist who can handle all genres, all styles. He also has a podcast. Welcome to Dark Matter. My name is Dave Navarro. And he's an artist. But I definitely remember being a little bit like taken aback that he made such um, a beautiful image of me. Dave Navarro is a lot of things, but it wasn't just the rock star or tattoo master reaching out to us. It was Dave Navarro, trauma survivor. We planned to meet up with Dave in Portland, three hours south of our house in Seattle, on January 18th. Then, on December 18th, Dave texted and said he was in Portland and ready for us. It was 9 p.m. It was raining. We'd both had a few glasses of wine. But we said, fuck it. Hopped in the car and drove down to Portland. I'm wondering if when Dave was like, where are you? I'm, I'm ready for the interview. And we're like, oh, shoot, this is not in January. And he's like, well, gosh, I'm going to have to tell the mariachi band to go home. <laughs> and... Yeah, and then he said he was kidding, but like, what if he wasn't kidding? Uh, what if he really hired a mariachi band? I mean, when yeah. he sent the video of that, my heart stopped, and I was like, oh no! <laughs> like, what a weird, sweet thing to do! <laughs> Yay, we're here! I can't believe, thank you guys so much for coming down at the last minute. Oh, of course, yeah, and I'm so sorry for the confusion. Um, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> and I will admit that it might be my fault. Uh, no, I mean, whatever, like, <laughs> hey, you know what? we're good. We needed an impromptu road trip, I think. Yeah. So anyway, I reached out to you mm -hmm. because when I see people in pain or that have been traumatized, I, I'm very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That 
that I claim to be? Empathetic? Yeah. I'm an <laughs> I, have, I have an empathetic feeling for people who suffer, you know, regardless of the circumstances. In your particular case, I was relieved how it worked out, but I also was thinking about the lasting trauma. You were always somebody that I saw that was so terribly treated undeservingly, and my heart broke, you know, because, I mean, I was 15 when I lost my mom. For those of you who don't know, listening, and I, at 15, lost my mom to a murder, and, and I deal with that pain today, and that was over 30 years ago, yeah. you know? And so that's why. And so I reached out and said hi, and and then I was motivated to do some art, which which and, was so beautiful and flattering. Like, oh my god! It, it's only beautiful because you're in it. No. But no, I, I, I uh, thank you for allowing me to do that, and I was able to raise some money for a charity you like. I have this thing about trauma kids, and I feel like we're a club. It's very, very hard to join, and you don't really want to join. But once you're in it, you're in it for life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a member. Yeah. But once you're a member, you're a member. So I was doing street art, so I just wanted to have a something recognizable. Right, people that know. They know who that is. Then I got into this whole like uh, religious iconography and looking at halos and so forth. And I came across that image of you. There, I don't know what was happening. Can I ask you what was happening in that moment? So the one where I'm like... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was, <laughs> you actually picked a really good moment. Um, oh, it's stunning. <laughs> that's a very special moment for me that you just happened to pick. I had just landed in Seattle <sighs> after imprisonment. Oh, wow. Like, I hadn't smelled the rain and the earth of the Pacific Northwest yeah. in years, and I was shocked by like the smell of home. Oh. And then they're, yeah, so that's. So I'm glad that's a good moment <laughs> I chose, you know. Yeah. That's just such a great moment. So it's so iconic and, and vulnerable and beautiful. And like, you can't tell if it's a moment of sheer gratitude or if you're hearing something terrible. Right, right. You know what it I mean? It could be anguish, it could be. Yeah, dry, you know, yeah. there's that, there's a really human moment in your eyes that's like really hard to get where like there's so much feeling that you can't decipher you just know it's deep i mean the jail time that i've done has been like stupid drug violations and whatever so i have no i have no concept of being isolated like that but i have a concept of being in one existence one day and then the rest of your life forever changed in mm -hmm. an instant without your control and riding those waves that you literally can't control like a leaf yeah. in an ocean of torment yeah and you're there all alone mm -hmm. and in my case i was all alone because of my own reasons and in your case you were isolated and alone and far on top of it you and were only 15. i know dave hinted at this tragedy in his music for years but it was only in 2015 when he released his documentary, Morning Sun, that he told the story of his mother's murder and his own resulting trauma in detail. Dave's mother had been dating a man named John Riccardi. When they split, things turned dark. A cloud of fear settled over that street, the entire street. My whole neighborhood was in fear of this guy. She was afraid of him. She changed all the locks. She had a restraining order on him. I just knew something was gonna go wrong. And I knew she was gonna die. I, I knew it. I don't know how I knew it. I knew it. On March 3rd, 1983, Dave was supposed to stay with his mother, but a last minute scheduling change left him at his father's. That night, John Riccardi broke into Connie Navarro's house and shot her and her sister, Susan. If Dave had been there, he likely would have been murdered as well. Connie Navarro was found in the hallway leading to the bedroom. Her upper portion of her body was partially into a cabinet. Susan Jory was found in the bedroom, also face down. She was shot in the face. 
And then my dad came in with the police officers and he sat me down on the bed and told me she's gone. And he was in such pain and I was in such shock. And it, I mean, it just was the darkest, most horrible, horrible moment of my life. But Dave didn't just lose his mother and aunt that night. He was left with fear and uncertainty, for Riccardi disappeared. I don't know what you did, but for me, I got directly into drugs. I got directly into music. I'm on drugs. I'm on tour. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I had so many years, decades of not dealing with it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then there's the getting clean part and the getting out of the touring rabbit hole and like being just stripped raw naked with these feelings like, oh my God, I'm still 15 years old about this. Totally. You know? Yeah. And it affects every relationship I enter into on an intimacy level, on a longevity level. You know, it's just the wounds of abandon and trust and heartache runs so deeply that I'm still finding it today. I still go into terror. That's why I make my phone. It's this, you never know who's calling because it, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm prepared yeah. for bad news. Uh, like, yeah. it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's all, okay, finally, it's my best friend. So, yeah. like, at least yeah. it's but like. But at least, like, hello, are you going to yeah. say something bad? <laughs> if I get an unknown number, I go into fucking panic. You know what I mean? Like, ah, what does that mean? I know. So. I actually get that, too. Like Yeah, our like, triggers I, like are. Like, it's dry cleaning that's like, pick up yeah. your dry cleaning. And I'm like, who are you? I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who told you I had dry cleaning <laughs> I miss my mom, and I dealt with the fact that she's not here a long time ago. Yeah. And it's not the death. It's not about the loss, but it's the physical manifestation of hypervigilance and anxiety and fear really just kind of made me not fun to be around. Mm. You know what I mean? And I was snappy at people and I didn't want to do things. I'm like, I don't want to go in there and do this. Or why are you making me do this? And as opposed to saying, you know what? I have a lot of fear about walking into a room full of people I don't know. And I'd rather sit this one out. I hope you can hear that. You know, I've learned that dynamic and like, it's okay. And when you speak that way, people hear you. They're like, okay. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course you don't have to, you know what I mean? Instead of getting defiant and becoming a jerk because you don't want to expose that you're feeling vulnerable, so it must be something wrong with everything else. No one told me there's people in there. I'm not going in there. No, what's going on is I'm afraid of going in there. Mm. And let's just let's get honest. You know what I mean? Life is hard enough anyway for people who haven't been through anything. It is. People are handed out disorders left and right. Oh, with, totally. I had a little suicidal period with yeah. basically no prompting. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, I well, you're a writer. Of course <laughs> you had to have that. <laughs> you know, like, it's required. Nothing, no horrible bomb dropped on my No, no, it just, you know. To the, cause that. Yeah, you had, you know? it's a requirement to become a great yeah. writer. So, <laughs> box, check. <laughs> He's going to be great. Hang on to him. Having a dark period doesn't make you special. Being willing to expose yourself is another story. We have to be those people, you know? We have to be the ones who are willing to show that vulnerability is okay. Vulnerability is a strength. It's a superpower. It's a super-duper power, man. Yeah. It's easier to grab a hold of somebody's rage than it is to grab a hold of their heart. It just is. Do you feel that same weird connection to the trauma itself? Because I have, like, a very weird relationship with the fact that so much of my life has been impacted by this thing that happened to me that I didn't do and I didn't make and wasn't of me. It just kind of happened to to me. Yeah, of course. And it's shaped my life more than anything that I've actually done. Yes. It feels like. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, first of all, do you feel that same way about your own trauma? Absolutely. And like, how do you deal with that? Because for me, I struggle with that. Like, I struggle with the fact that, like, so much of my life is a result of something I didn't do, you know? Me too. Me too. And 
you know, I wish that like my life could be more made up of something I did do. And there's always this struggle to like yeah. do something yeah, that could are. be as impactful, you know, I don't know. But, but you are, don't you understand? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is what's so great about it. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. I mean, I went through the rest of my, I mean, I was in high school, so I went to, that's the kid with the murdered mom. That's yeah. the kid with the murdered mom. That was always the outsider. That's had a whole new fucking, yeah. you know, that, I don't even want to get into that thing. Yeah, and our parents will be there. I mean, well, you know, your dad can come. Like, all those little things, like, uh. you know, the devastating knives that continually happen and all that stuff. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't want this. I didn't do it. I didn't, please, I'm a regular person just like everybody else. Yeah. And you're not. You're stamped whatever a victim or a fucking perpetrator whichever way you're stamped either way you know what i mean it's like you're just not going to be amanda you know in the store and this is fucked to say and i'll tell you the truth sometimes i have to find the gratitude in it Mm. like okay had it not been for that event it was terrible i wouldn't have dived into guitar music i wouldn't have died into rock music i wouldn't have my life wouldn't have turned out this way where I'm in a position to help others. Yeah. And if you hadn't gone through that, you didn't have the gift nor the notoriety before this to reach millions and millions of people with hope. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so weird. And even you feeling sad and talking about it openly gives people hope because it's like, because think about what people see. You know, they see the documentary, they see my, my my film, what either one, and they're like, see, these guys went through these terrible things and they're fine. Why can't I get through my thing? We're not fine. We're not fine. We went through these terrible things and we're showing them to you because we're saying it's okay to have these feelings still. It's, there's no... It's okay there's, to not be fine. It's okay to not be fine. I have a whole yeah. a, a whole clothing line that's all... You, you guys are going to love this. It's all based <laughs> yeah. on embracing that we're not fine. We could give you lots of reasons to support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? My name is Henry, and I've been a supporter of the Labyrinths podcast for some time. I can totally relate to the concept of feeling lost, and I think the stories have helped me tremendously getting through these last couple of years, and I think they would help others as well. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson. It can be difficult to see all the ways that trauma shapes us. I think that's part of why Dave wanted to meet me, so we could hold the mirror up for each other. It's also why I keep Chris around. She has this deep anxiety that she would be a less interesting person if that didn't happen. If what didn't happen? If Italy didn't happen, if the whole thing that has her at this table with you right now didn't happen, that she would be boring. And then I wouldn't love her, you know, like she, she'll say things like that in her most yeah, anxious, doubtful I moments. I understand that. I mean, I tend to think it's the trauma is the fire that forges who you are, but like it depends on the materials you put into that furnace. Yeah. And like you might have become more interesting because of how you reacted to that trauma, but not everyone who goes through trauma becomes an inspiring person. No, no. I can list off a dozen names that aren't really doing much. To help others, you know what I mean? You didn't end up where you are because you didn't deserve it. Mm. I mean, you definitely didn't deserve what happened, but you deserve this. Oh, you know nice what I mean? You Don't you think? I mean, I've I've worked like I've worked really, really hard yeah. to try to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, me too. So me like, too. Which is why at the end of my movie, the the blood that's coming out of my head at the front, which is hard to watch is really used to make a painting yeah. in the end and like turn this painful thing into something. Can we that... talk about that blood moment? Yeah. Morning Sun opens with footage of Dave in the desert dripping blood from his forehead into a wine glass. At the end, we see that he's done so to create a painting. 
This kind of painful symbolism is 100% Dave, we came to realize. He's also big into suspension. On one season finale of Ink Master, Dave gives his opening monologue. Then... It is time to end the suspense. The camera pulls back to reveal that he's hanging from the ceiling by two large hooks in his back. We were curious if his attraction to this strange mix of pain and exhilaration had roots in his trauma. The suspension for me is more of an adrenaline high experience. Endorphins are going and you're moving and it's... Right, um, like marathon runners will like get high on adrenaline. Yeah, taste. like I, <laughs> to me, it's as it's the same thing. But I'd rather do this than run twenty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because when I'm done, I'm still in my backyard. Yeah, you know, I gotta come twenty four back. So how does it? How does that world compare to the, you know, the coke binge world though? Like, oh no, uh, it's a totally different world. Because, what makes them different for you? Well, for me, the the suspension world is all about community and friendship and mm-hmm. and trust uh, trust yeah. and you know there's a very hmm. strict procedural method in which we do this we don't just throw up hooks in the backyard and get on yeah, i'm like totally there's i mean these guys are trained there's gloves there's all this it looks like an operating table mm-hmm. and even though it, it, it appears painful there's a real bonding tribal feeling whereas in the coke binge world it's really destructive and ultimately, everybody's out for themselves, yeah. and nobody is really standing there in case you fall when right. they're doing yeah. coke. The suspension stuff, it turned out, was far more about trust than pain. That made perfect sense. It took me a long time to make new friends after coming home from prison. I found that when you are hurt by others, trust in others becomes a casualty. But the one thing that suspension has in common with Dave's old destructive response to trauma, his darkest heroin days, is the element of ritual. Ritual has always been very important to me. That ritual's fun because it's secretive and dirty Mm. and dangerous and like against the society. And, you know, nobody knows what kind of pain I'm in. I'll just keep my little box full of fucking secrets. And it's like, (laughs) you kind of feel like stupidly like a superhero in a weird way like because you have your can of spinach that if danger comes you just go into the bathroom and you can take on anything do you have that with music like before doing a show or something or are there any routines that you go through well you know i think that the show is the ritual Mm. you know for me like i can get there five minutes ahead of time and walk straight on and just be in the space right you know because and there's a procedure to the show, and you're telling a story over the course of a show. And but also with that scenario, there's interconnections yeah. among other humans that are experiencing the same thing. Mm. So in a lot of ways, I'm not alone mm-hmm. there. And the crowd is like some mass organism that you get to interact with in some way, right? It used to be, and now it's just a bunch of people with cell phones. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, I'm like sweating, doing my hardest. You know, the poor 53 year old guy is going to blow his hip out any yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> doing it, I'm looking, there's some guy like this, right? My face. Oh, no. Like, I appreciate he's taking my picture, but like. Be present with me. But he's never going to watch that video, for one. He's never going to watch it. It sounds terrible. A thousand other people are taking that same video. He can see it anytime he wants on YouTube. So I think if you think about the things that I love, they're all community. The street art is a community. Suspension is a community. Bands are community. In the 30 years since his mother was killed, Dave seems to have tried every conceivable method of coping with trauma, including drugs. I was, like, scared of drugs because in yeah. prison so many people oh, are, yeah. like, really, really scarily addicted to the point where like I would have conversations with people who had like kids on the outside and they were like I can't wait to get on the outside so I can get my next hit and of course. I was like oh but you have kids on like it just like But as a drug addict I understand and you that get thinking it, yeah. because truthfully as a drug addict I'm of no service to that kid until I have that. That's fair. You know what I mean? That's that's super that's, interesting. that's I mean that is the logical oh. thinking. Yeah. I can't hold my kid and be shaking and sick and sweating and like yeah. vomiting. Wow. I got to get my fix so I can get to him. Wow. That's what they're thinking. It's just like, I, I know it. Honestly, like I'm the type of person who 
unless I cannot stand the pain, mm-hmm. I will force myself to experience it. She doesn't take it. ibuprofen, you know, like I, she, uh, I've she like calls it quits after two glasses and like of wine. Not, yeah. Like, yeah. I, so I've always like very wary because I'm also like hyper vigilant after everything that I'm happened. hyper vigilant all the time. I'm hyper vigilant right now about eight things that are going to happen after this. Oh. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Of course you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Seeing the horrors of opiate abuse in prison, Amanda was skeptical of all drugs but she worked up the courage to try a microdose of psilocybin mushrooms. The microdose was amazing because what I did was I was working on a sewing project. I mm-hmm. love to sew. And, you know, my entire existence is one of being a, like hypervigilant all the time and also a little bit anxious all the time. Me too. Like I'm just worried and I, I almost feel like if I'm not worried, something bad is going to happen because I'm not like prepared. Oh, yeah, because we're ready for the, the door to be slammed on us at any yes. moment. Ready for that phone call. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And like the microdose, what it did was I didn't feel anything. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like I like the most I felt was like, oh, my tongue's a little fuzzy. <laughs> um, but like I noticed that while I was doing this sewing project, I wasn't anxious about it. You're I wasn't worried that I was going to like mess up. I wasn't worried that I was going to have to undo all my work. I was focused, but focused. I was like, I'm just focused right now. Yeah. And it was so peaceful. Yeah. I've not felt that. I for have a full long faith time. in that. And oddly enough, I, I'm microdosing right now. All right. Yeah. You know, so well, cheers. I'm by no means a doctor or a physician of any. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a licensed analyst. I'm nothing. Don't I'm try this at home. <laughs> well, what I'm <laughs> saying is the way I've tried this is mm-hmm. with a team of professionals. Mm. So. I work really close with a therapist and a doctor who is uh, connected with MAPS, which is uh-huh. yeah, yeah, multidisciplinary. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We get we the get MAPS the, uh, newsletter the news. in the mail. Yeah, okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. I do it in, on their terms. And what we do is we do journey work, whether it's MDMA, whether it's psilocybin, whether it's ketamine. DMT, LSD, whatever, you know, I'm not saying let's go to Silver Lake and take mushrooms and get healed. Right. I'm saying this is a clinical thing with notes being taken and recorded that later gets used for processing when you're not on the chemical to talk about in therapy what came up. Totally. Because the journey itself doesn't heal anything. So I'm not saying if your girlfriend dumped you, take acid and you'll be okay. I'm not saying that. Right. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Like, no this is deeply, deeply hard work, and it's yeah. not fun. Right. And I was on a journey with my team, and I, and I had this thought of, like, because I'd lost uh, Chester Bennington and Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland all in a very close amount of time. I'm sorry, by the way. That's... Thank you. I mean, they were friends. They wasn't, they weren't, you know what I mean? It's, Yeah. It was a hurtful thing because, yeah, it did hurt. I was sobbing for all of those. Those were real people for you. Yeah, because I know what they were feeling, and I've been at that point where I wanted to end it all. You know what I mean? And I just didn't by the grace of of whatever there is. And I, um, I went through a big cleansing process through the journey where I wept a lot and cried a lot and thought about a musical experience that would promote healing Hmm. rather than suffering going through the notes later and it wasn't for like six it was like six eight months later and then we did the show Mm. and i was in it and i was playing and it didn't even occur to me and i was feeling so in the moment at peace with no ego because it wasn't a band we weren't making money we wasn't about that it was about the feeling and the people and the cause and like you know, and usually, you know, to be an entertainer, there's a level of ego involved. You sure. kind of even have to put on a false sense of ego just to get up there. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. Just to have the nerve to step out there. Totally. Um, and then I got this real, like, expansive view of connectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the typical, we're all connected, man, but, like, I really felt it. Yeah. You know, like, we're all made out of the same kind of particles, and however big or small our feelings are, they're, are, they're all relative and important and ultimately meaningless, and they can remain meaningless, or you can do something about them so that they're not meaningless. Mm-hmm. So 
it's really the best that I can do with that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. And not to really be grateful for it, but like at least look for the outcome. I don't know that you would have met this gentleman the way you did. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't. You know, I mean, have, I don't know yeah. how you guys met, but it's like you know. We have a pretty cute meeting story. Do you want to hear our meet cute story? Do I need to get a bucket? Or is it, <laughs> no. How cute is it? I want to. <laughs> I'll tell you that story another time. For now, all I'll say is that finding Chris was huge for processing my own trauma. For that depth of trust enables deep vulnerability. And that's the only way I can really confront some of the things that still haunt me. Dave hasn't been so lucky. But I would say that I still struggle in the relationship department because, and I'm sure a lot of my ex-girlfriends will attest to it, terrified of being smothered. Okay. Mm. But I'm also terrified of being abandoned. So you have to have just the right <laughs> amount yeah. of, like, attention. So, uh, Pay yeah. attention to me. Stop paying attention to me. Pay yes. attention to me. Stop it's paying attention to me. fucking a nightmare. And yeah. it is. That's it. That's your. It is, that's what but I'm it is about. ultimately what I do know mm. is that it's ultimately narcissism. Really. I mean, because that's me wanting it to be the way I want it to be in all times. I want my space now. I don't want it now. I want you here. I don't want you. It's narcissistic. I understand that. But that's a narcissism that I've built up over many, many years as a protective wall. Why? Because I probably don't want to get my heart shattered again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it a, a thing you've come to recognize and deal with? Or is it something that you're on a journey to change? I'm on a journey to change. And I mean, because the fact of the matter is... It's all fear-based because the fact of the matter is when I get in a relationship and I'm cruising in it and it's good, it's good. And when it ends, I survive. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. But right. I still have that mechanism. You know what I mean? That mechanism that makes me freeze up like, oh, my God, that's four texts in a row. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't even know who it is or what it's saying. That freaks me out. Like, smother, smother, smother. I can't do it. But then I'm on the same guy who's like, what the fuck, man? This thing hasn't rang in yeah. 30 minutes. Where is she? <laughs> So I'm a, I'm, I'm a nightmare. You know I mean? She hates me. You know, she's out with my friends. And I'll write the story of like. Yeah, the mind games. The every mind one of games. my friends, they're all at my house taking turns on the girl I love because and laughing at and laughing at pictures of me. In my experience, when deep trauma is involved, a relationship isn't going to survive unless you dredge it up to the surface. Has your trauma caused you to navigate mentally into areas you'd rather not hmm. you know what i mean or dwell so i am almost like deathly afraid of being gaslit on the one hand i'm always afraid that i need to be protecting myself and then at the same time like i i've had to like trust that i can express my fear about something to the person I love. Like we've had amazing conversations that I have never had mm -hmm. with a partner before where I'm like, this is what I'm afraid is happening right now. Yes. And I need you to tell me what your experience mm -hmm. of what is happening. Right. And we need to reconcile those like experiences of what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe you're wrong and maybe we're both wrong and we need to like figure that and out. And you come at it with love. And like he has to like find me like I'll be like in the closet <laughs> hunched over and he'll be like, all right, let's turn on the light in the closet. Oh <laughs> let's have a conversation. Yeah, it's not, it's not normally that bad. And in the like lead up to us going back to Italy this last summer, yeah, that was, uh, it was that bad. Yeah. Was going oh, to dark places. Oh, yeah. That was tough. Dealing with trauma is hard work. And frankly, if you're out there listening, thinking about your own trauma, your own crying in the closet moments, let me just say sometimes the best therapy is just to cut yourself some slack. Give yourself a break. Have a glass of wine. Or why not? Smoke some weed. We took a little break from our conversation with Dave. He wanted to hit his pipe, but I offered him my vape pen instead. <coughs> Man, that pen. Oh, is that, that Washington too powerful? Stronger. They've had it legal longer than us. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, that was the, you did the low. You did the low setting. <laughs> <laughs> but also. What are you, what are you saying, Chris? <laughs> 
Are you telling me You're I'm a pussy? Wow, he's shaming me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, don't shame. I just opened up to all my vulnerabilities to you, and then you yeah, shame and yeah, judge. Yeah, he's, Wow. He's nice still, guy. He's still learning. Nice guy. <laughs> Fucking. We all find different ways of responding to our traumas, but however we rebuild ourselves, through community, through psychedelics or suspension or art, we ultimately have to confront it, in our partners and in ourselves. Amanda, you revealed a very uh, personal moment, and thank you for revealing that, uh, where you were talking about like, uh, you know, having a, a moment a panic moment in the closet. And I going to ask Chris, you know, how is that for you to, to navigate and sort of uh, support and be there and at the same time make sure that you're not overextending whatever, what's the, what, you know, whatever your boundaries are within yeah. your control. How do you navigate that line? Um, when she's in a space like that, I tend to go into mission mode and, and, uh, earlier younger me would have been dumb enough to like think I could fix whatever the thing was and yes. try to fix it. And you can't. Yeah. So what mission mode for me now means is like stepping out of whatever, you know, daily delusion I'm in or just be like, all right, what's actually true? What do I know? What am I feeling? What is she feeling? And then the bit more truth I have about the situation, the more I feel like, okay, like she's not going to be able to come out of this for a minute. Hmm. So she has to be in it. Mm -hmm. And I want to just be like, hey, I love you. I'm here. And like the worst is when like those closet moments, mm -hmm. I will be pouring love in towards her direction. Mm -hmm. And she will be like a, a mirror that has suddenly gone foggy. Yeah. And I just can't see any of that love coming back at me. Yeah. And yeah. it's like this, you know, like what's going on? Like it's a crucial circuit breakdown. Right. There's a complete yeah. shutdown. No, 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 no. no. Like, I've, oh, I've looked into those eyes myself. I, I, I know, know what you're that, talking about. I know that she loves me in yeah, that moment. Sure. She's just not, she's in such a bad place that she's not able to show it. Mm -hmm. And sorry, that's, it's fucking hard. Um, but I have to just, I have to remind myself on that meta level yeah. that like, she doesn't want to be in that mind state any more than I want her to be in that mind state. Yeah. And that's okay. Sometimes you're in that mind state. The thing that makes it shitty, the thing that would really make it shitty is if there was a negative behavior pattern that reinforced and caused these things to yeah. re-trigger more often. Of course. And instead we have a behavior pattern that really minimizes the the number of triggering events that happen. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is just talking a lot. Talking yeah. a lot. And so there's always just, there's always minor pressure release valves that happen. Yes. Little mini ones every single day. Yeah. yeah. That's really good to know. Mini pressure release valves throughout the yeah. day yeah. because... For me, it shows up as trauma like this. I'm waking up, it's a great day, I'm in the garage, I got cans, I got music on, da, 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 da. I'm having a great time. And then I walk into the kitchen to get something to drink and she's like, you know, I'm like, okay, my world stops yeah. now. Yeah. What's going on? Like, yeah. is it simply love that helps you push through there being any sort of resentment of the fact that you have entered into a world where your life is going to be put on hold from time to time. Mm -hmm. And you've said yes to that. And like, that's great and admirable. And I applaud that. But like, what's your advice to a guy like me? Am I going into an area that's No, too no, no. This is great. Okay. This is great. This is okay. great. Because I'm experiencing it now. So yeah. I, I'm yeah. curious. Yeah. I understand that in our relationship, I'm the one who is bringing uh, a more trauma-informed perspective to the sure, table. Sure. And not even necessarily because I think you have to have gone through more trauma than someone. But, like, no. I'm also just more sort of, like, stuck in processing my own trauma. Sure, sure, sure. And, like, when when – like, I think I'm worse at at being a supportive person for you than you are for me. 
because I don't have your level of self-confidence to always remember that it's not about me. Like sometimes when he's going through his highs and lows, I'll think that I have done something terribly wrong and that will then send me into my spiral and then I'll start going into my spiral and then he's like, what are you doing? Just like, be nice to me. To me, me, I call that reverse narcissism. It's all about me, but I'm making everything horrible. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's still all about me, but I'm making it all bad. You're the villain in your own story. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that has really helped me is like you just have to have the courage to tell the other person this is the crazy thing that's happening in my brain right now and I don't and why I don't want you to fix it I don't want you it I like I I can't help but know that it's going to affect you but like how about we just talk about it so that instead of it being on top of me yeah. and on top of you it's in front of us there and it's in go. front of you and now we can both that. look at it together and now that we're both looking at it together, it feels less like this thing that's trapping me. That's the shit right there. When you say, I don't know, am I supposed to this or that? Right there. If you were standing in front of a classroom of high school kids saying that, <laughs> I'm not I'm not kidding. That's valuable. That's valuable lesson for the world. That's a move for humanity. Oh, well. Do you know what I mean? I definitely. People don't communicate like that. But that kind of confrontation, staring the trauma in the face, is only half of it, at least for me and for Dave. The other half is confronting the source. In Dave's case, that meant staring down John Riccardi, the man who murdered his mother. In the aftermath of her killing, the search for Riccardi went cold, and Dave turned away from that trauma, diving into hard drugs, into music, touring the world with Jane's addiction. It wasn't until eight years later when an FBI agent placed Riccardi on the most wanted list that they finally got a hit. I went out on a hunch to to target uh, plastic surgeons. His vanity, I figured his vanity was up there. The Bureau mailed flyers out to every, every plastic surgeon in those states. And lo and behold, we were able to locate plastic surgeon. They finally found Riccardi, who had altered his face. Dave then had to go through the trauma of testifying against him at trial. Riccardi was given the death sentence, which was later commuted to life without parole. In 2015, Dave decided to travel down to San Quentin prison to confront him. He documented the journey in Morning Sun. My intention to see Riccardi is, in my mind, the last step in basically turning this thing inside out, every fucking which way I can look at it, and it's the last fear, it's the last door that I can walk through. But walking through that door, sitting down with his mother's killer, it didn't give Dave the closure he was looking for. He did seem more humanized to me than this big, scary, monstrous idea that I had as a child. So I think in that way, Mm -hmm. it might have been healing in that respect. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I highly recommend that people do, and especially the way I did it, which was I just went. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I appreciate that because um, I think that was a tremendously brave thing to do. And I also appreciate how that desire, like you're a storyteller, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that we process the traumas that we've been through is we try to realize the story within the trauma. Exactly. And like weirdly, I felt so much for you in that moment of coming out of that prison and being like, this isn't the story that I was telling myself. Like. Fuck. Isn't that <laughs> like, crazy? Like, I'm so glad that you got that because yeah. that, that's something that I mean that was a that was traumatic and upon itself. Yeah. You know? To have this hope of like I'm gonna feel resilient and and stronger and I've you know I looked him dead in the eye and I can walk out of here tall. It wasn't that. Yeah. I was like, fuck man. Yeah, that's the Hollywood a- story. Yeah. This is the you know real what I mean? story. This is really terrible. Yeah, um, I actually really wanted to talk to you about that to see 
if you would recommend that experience to anyone else. Of going in to see and confronting a, a killer or somebody who wronged you yeah. in a really traumatic, heavy way. Yeah, because I, like I'm in the process of reaching out to my prosecutor. Interesting. To say what and in hopes of what? I have always felt that my prosecutor didn't do this horrible thing because he's a sociopath. I keep having the feeling that my prosecutor believed he was doing the right thing. And he was wrong, mm -hmm. but he's not like an evil sociopath person. Tell me what you want to say to him, if you don't mind. I, oh, I mean, well, so one of the things that I always thought was maybe he thinks, believes all these horrible things about me simply because from the outset, he encountered me in a moment of tremendous crisis like right you know for him he now has suddenly a murder to solve and like the international media breathing down his neck and for me i'm thinking oh my god if i had been home that night i would be dead yeah and i would have too exactly 100 bro i'm with you and so just like the shock of that and the feeling that like you know there were cultural differences there were generational differences so like his interpretation of me was informed based on like a really you know heightened degree of crisis and stress and pressure mixed with all of the sort of lost in translation things that happen. And I wonder if us suddenly being pushed into the role of him being the accuser and me being the accused, and suddenly we're in this system that's very adversarial, mm -hmm. that sort of pushed him to believe the worst things about me that he could. Because so in a nutshell, is the letter that you propose to send to do some exercise where you clean yourself of something or do you expect a response or want a response? Cause that's the danger is in the expectation. I know I can't help, but get my hopes up that like, he's going to get it that he was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if he ever will get it. And what if he doesn't? And if he doesn't like, am I okay with that? Um, yeah. So I'm curious to know, like, well, what do you think? I would, I would write the letter. Have you written it? Yeah, I figured. So <laughs> that was the exercise number one. Just write the letter. Okay, it's written. Now you know what you want to say. That's great. Now, do you, I don't know what your what kind of work you do, if you see a therapist or not, or if you have your own spiritual sense i'm not even gonna this is the therapy right yeah. mine, too. mine too yeah okay so in my experience having an expectation is the danger mm. when i got in the room with him i saw the level of narcissism and ego and delusion and sickness that i was dealing with it was devastating it was like i walked out of that i'm like you gotta be fucking kidding me why did i even waste my time this guy's a fucking bastard and he should rot in jail and that's wow. it you know right i wanted something that i didn't calculate in my head ahead of time mm -hmm. i wanted some kind of remorse i wanted some kind of humility i wanted something even though i knew i wasn't gonna get it i hoped for it yeah or because you want to see if if there's a sliver of remorse in this guy's eyes yeah there was not Ugh. not a sliver of remorse if I was more prepared walking into my situation and said, okay, this guy claims he didn't do this. He's not going to admit to it. He's not going to cry and beg for forgiveness. If I was said all that stuff to myself and said, you're doing this because you need an ending to your movie. Let's get it going. You know what I mean? Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Right? This brings us to the question of what story we're telling when we interrogate our traumas and who we're telling it to. Dave was filming his journey to confront the man who killed his mother. And here I am, converting my trauma into podcast material, dramatizing my own journey to reach out to the man who wrongfully convicted me. Not everyone's a storyteller, a performer. But when you are, the line between processing your trauma and performing it can get pretty blurry. Because a lot of people are also performing their own self to themselves. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like they. Oh, right? you're really in touch with that, aren't you? Well, I. You really I, had to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fucking flying home with that thought. Yeah. Performing for yourself. Performing <laughs> yourself to yourself. Performing yourself to yourself. No. <laughs> that doesn't ring any bells. It sucks that you have that. I mean, every but like everyone has that. Everyone and, has it, right? and I think yeah, that for sure. I think people are investing more in the performance of themselves yeah. than they are in themselves. But is performance inherently inauthentic? For Dave Navarro, not when it comes to music, anyway. When it comes to performance or being uh, on stage, I'll put it this way: like, yeah, I amplify. But does it, it doesn't feel not authentic to you. No, it doesn't because it's, yeah. but it's an amplified part of myself. So when I perform and I amplify a part of myself, it's a real part of myself. I've just chosen to focus in on that part to avoid all the rest. Like, hey, yeah. everybody look over here. And then I can, you know, I can, this stuff can breathe. But then I go home and that stuff I could care less about. And that stuff can breathe. Trauma can be hidden, buried deep. But when you do the hard work of pulling it to the surface, you also have to be careful not to let the story of your trauma define you. You have to be careful not to wear your trauma like a mask. I'm trying to, like, lose all the reasons I would need a mask. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need that. That's a great way to put it. Lose the reasons you would need a mask. Yeah. For us, that means surrounding ourselves with people like Dave Navarro, who are real with you from minute one. It means caring more about asking good questions than reciting acceptable answers. Driving back home through the rain, I didn't have some magical solution to the trauma that still haunts me. I didn't even feel less lost but I did feel less alone. Join us next time as we sit down with a good friend of ours, Tom, someone who was there for Amanda and her family in a time of need, and who is now stuck in a labyrinth of his own with 7,000 miles of ocean between him and his destiny. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. At KnoxRobinson.com. And subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Labyrinths. This episode was written by us, edited and sound designed by Chandler Mays, with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. Captain's Log, Stardate 89361.5. We've encountered a fascinating alien civilization. The people of Patreon Prime are humanoid in appearance, but possess vastly greater degrees of nuance, compassion, and intelligence than any race we have so far encountered. But what is perhaps most striking is their generosity. Captain, the warp core is going critical. Warning. Divert all energy to patreon.com slash Robinson.